One of the things that's surprising for me in the OTT D2C space right now is that we're still at a stage where a lot of the, the, the broadcast platforms don't have that infrastructure for a real robust e-commerce offering. Amazon absolutely do. So their ability to be able to monetize, but then filtering their knowledge of those people into cross-selling them into other you know, e-commerce channels throughout their, their business offering is, is going to be where they can just they can look at the value of rights completely differently. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we're delighted to be joined by Nick Meacham, Managing Director of Sports Pro Media. Fueled by an extensive background in the sports and media industries, Nick has spent the last 10 years developing Sports Pro Media into the global leader in sports industry news and insights. With a distinct focus around media rights, broadcasting and technology, Sports Pro audience of more than 1.5 million sports industry executives is supported by an events portfolio of conferences hosted in five countries around the world. Nick's expertise is built around the burgeoning digital and OTT landscape, transforming sports consumption. He spends time advising sports industry stakeholders on how to tackle the sports broadcasting revolution, Nick also serves as an independent director of the British Volleyball Federation. Today, Nick and I discuss all about how big tech is getting into sports. I had to go with a title that had a pun in it. I'm so sorry for all our listeners that that really don't like uh, puns. Bit of a dad joke on my end, but fangs getting stuck into sport. And if you don't know what a fang is, then don't worry. That is the first question right off the bat that I asked Nick. So I'm not going to dive into it now. But really, this is a really interesting discussion. We cover a lot of ground, but really it's... It's about these huge tech companies and the impact that they're having as they look to emerge as leaders in sports or, or maybe just kind of dip their toe in the industry. So something to watch and, and Nick's uh, done a lot of thinking, a lot of research, a lot of conversations behind this. So fantastic guest to share his perspectives on it. This podcast is brought to you by Sports Tech World Series, the largest global community of sports technology. If you aren't familiar with our work, uh, we work across the whole gambit of sports tech, helping teams, leagues, federations, companies from, from startups all the way up to larger larger ones and, and some of the fangs that we're talking about, uh, help them really navigate the world of sports technology. So if that's something that you need help with, uh, you need to grow your business, you need to maybe look at some market entry, looking at acquisitions, that's certainly something we can help with with our consulting work. So feel free to reach out to me, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. Also feel free if you are just interested in continue the conversation about some of the things that have been raised in this podcast or any of our other episodes, uh, which can all be found at sportstechfeed.com. That's enough out of me. For now, I'll be back at the end of the episode with a few final thoughts. Uh, but here is Nick Meacham, Managing Director of Sports Pro Media, on how big tech are getting their fangs stuck into sports. Nick Meacham, welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you join us on the show. Good to be here, Thomas. So today we're talking all about fangs. Uh, and their role in sports. Can you just outline uh, quickly for us what we mean by the term FANG? Sure. Well, in practical, legit, like direct terms, FANGs literally stands for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, Netflix, and Google. Um, but for me, it's more wider than that. It also touches upon just the impact or the scale, the big scale tech companies and the impact that they're playing. So, so uh, yes, yeah, for those, those companies I mentioned, plus I also put into the mix companies like Twitter, and even Tencent in China, who also having quite a big impact in, in, in the, the sports tech space, particularly on the sports media side as well. So it's, it's the amorphous term for big tech that, you know, the, the category killers, the, the big tech that play in their own kind of stratosphere, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these guys are really creating their own environment, their own, um, their own platform, their own ecosystem to, to play in. And, 
their own way of doing things. You know, they they aren't following traditional models that all the the other players across the the internet and across um, publishing and broadcasting do. They do they do it their own way and find the ways that they can maximize and grow audiences and make as much money as possible. So. Um, yeah, when we talk, when I talk about them, I'm really talking about those guys that have, further to your point, um, just have such a an offering that is truly different and at scale that when they want to go after anything, they can make a huge impact to any any business, not just in the sports sector. Certainly, and then have the cash on hand as well, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later with rights deals, but certainly in terms of um, just purely the amount of resources at their disposal. Um, is pretty incredible. And do we have a clear understanding for their strategy for sports or is it still a little bit of they're dipping their toes in different areas? I would say it's been a really interesting journey to to follow because I think what I've seen over the last probably five to seven years, initially the sports industry got very excited by the prospect of um, all these big tech companies throwing loads of money into the into the sports industry, buying up all the rights they could, and just disrupting the whole the whole media landscape across sports. Um, and we did start to see some signs of that. Particularly, everyone was very excited about the impact that someone like Facebook would have, because Facebook started investing so heavily in the Facebook Watch offering with exclusive content, and, and video is becoming just such a key part of their platform. Then. Um, now, what has happened with someone like Facebook is they've seen that it hasn't really worked to the, to the depth that they wanted it to. And now they've, I would say, pivoted quite heavily away from investing into premium rights uh, and really becoming more of a, a key uh, marketing partner, a marketing channel um, or a, a distribution channel for these, these sort of rights holders who are looking for other ways of getting their content out kind of acting as a marketing funnel for them to either drive audiences to their own D2C platforms or to generate, um, yeah, just generate new eyeballs to, to their sport. And the main way they, they guess they're sort of leveraging that uh, relationship is um, they're both partner up to find the best ways to engage with an audience. So a good example of that recently was uh, Facebook has worked very heavily with the ATP tennis tour. Um, and they've both actively talked about the benefits they've had and they work together to work out what sort of content's resonating with Facebook's audience, what's getting you know, longer, longer engagement times and view times and, um, and, and try and maximize that. But then also they're, they're both monetizing that by ad roll, like advertising. So they're, they're the simple pre-roll, mid-roll stuff that they're incorporating into some of the, the, the content they're publishing. So they're, making, they're working together to create the best sort of content experience that works for the platform and then monetizing it through traditional advertising. And so that's where someone like a Facebook has, has sort of fallen into, where initially they were seen as like the great white hope um, for sports, yeah. next new opportunity. That's obviously only just Facebook. You know, you, then you can go into some of the other guys, um, you know, very quickly, Apple. Uh, Apple's really interesting because they haven't really made a big move into sports. But what is very, um, I, I think, very interesting from my point of view is they have recently hired the ex-head of sports for Amazon. Um, as it was very quietly done, but that sort of screams the opportunity that they're going to start looking at what investments they can make to make a bigger play. Um, Netflix. So Netflix is always, everyone expects Netflix to make a, a big play as well, but fundamentally Netflix is an entertainment platform and a video on demand platform, a VOD platform. But then to shift that into a live sports offering is a huge change and a huge shift that, 
Of course, they have the scale to do if they want to, but I just don't think they need to. So mm. I, don't, I don't really see someone like a Netflix coming in and, and transforming the way they, they do business entirely to starting involving live sport. Um, and then I'd say just quickly on Google, like Google obviously has YouTube as part of their wider offering. Uh, and I, I see YouTube has, again, played similarly to, to Facebook, that, that complementary marketing channel and offering. But really that could be, they could become, I think longer term, potentially that, that free-to-air offering, that free-to-air broadcasting, linear broadcasting used to be. YouTube can become that, particularly for some of the tier two and tier three sports properties. It's a nice avenue to be able to get scale of audience reach international audiences if your rights aren't geo-protected um, and make sure you can generate a lot of um, you know, audience and data and insight uh, and scale for audience uh, for those guys that typically struggle to get onto linear broadcast channels. So, um, I mean, that, that was a bit of a long-winded answer, but it's sort of giving yeah. you a bit of a snapshot of, of the mix. And like I said, we'll talk about um, TV rights later. Or some of the news has come out today or this week about RSNs um, as in the local broadcasters that are just struggling. We're always struggling, but of, of just really COVID has just um, chopped them out of the knees. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned YouTube as a, as a kind of turning into the new TV, like YouTube TV in the same way that um, mm. uh, I, when I was growing up, I would just get home from school and flick on the, the TV, um, especially as a generational shift and, and the shifting dynamics of viewership. That's what this generation is doing. Gen Z is coming home and flicking on YouTube. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if, if the content follows that um, already existing shift in eyeballs. Yeah, well, the, the huge problem, the, the huge, huge problem sports fundamentally got is that I think anyway is, is discoverability. So further to your point about you know, when you're growing up and when a lot of us were growing up and watching um, turn on the TV and that's how we would consume stuff, to, to, to discover and, and stumble across um, live sport these days it's going to be near on impossible because those platforms aren't built for that. So you're not going to be able to stumble across, Hey, I'm a rugby league, a rugby union fan. And I stumble across um, the football and I might stay on and watch the football. That sort of experience of discoverability of not just those sports that are of similar scale and magnitude, but even like smaller sports, let's say like hockey, they might not get as much airtime. That's largely, those opportunities are largely going to be missing. Um, so YouTube can help with that um, because they have, they set up for discoverability in some instances, but sports will really struggle to, to have that opportunity to connect with new audiences unless your sport is built as, um, you know, a highlights led offering that's got the, you know, the 15 second clips of real excitement that can generate fans that, that the, the oh shit moments um, that, you know, that's some sports that have like, you know, the NBA is perfect for clipping in, in short chunks of highlight plays, the NFL the same. So that sport can translate really well to social um, platforms for the short form, but other sports really can't. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what sort of role that, that, that all plays. And, and obviously we haven't really touched a lot upon on Amazon then, but I think like they're, they're probably the ones that really stand out. Well, let's, let's, let's dive into that then. So, I mean, for me, that they're probably one of the companies that is most heavily involved in sports or has been, um, I guess, taken a few steps deeper into the water, into the pool of sports. So let's, let's dive into that. What's, um, kind of, what's the position of, uh, of Amazon at the moment? Yeah, I mean, Amazon, Amazon has, over the last few years, been doing more and more. But I'd say really in 2020, they have really ramped up their position in the market. 
Uh, and one thing to really factor in is when when we talk Amazon, we have to now talk about Twitch. You know, Twitch is the you know the largest gaming platform that generates, I can't remember the numbers off my head, but it's like hundreds of millions of users every month on the platform. It's one of the most visited websites in the world now. So having those two products or platforms fundamentally gives them so much opportunity. And now it really feels like Amazon, who has been you know, dipping their toe in the water and doing certain moves over the last sort of five to 10 years, are now making a big play. There's not, there's not a day that goes by, uh, sorry, not a week that goes by anyway, that you know, sports pros perspective that we're covering. We, we are covering something that Amazon is doing. You know, it, it, whether it's a move for a new set of rights, whether it's a move, move for a new piece of um, interactivity on their platform for consumption, whether it's something that's happening on Twitch, they're constantly making moves. Now. Yeah, the e-com stuff with Tottenham and, and soon to be many more teams announced. Yep. Absolutely. And, and look, they're, they're really best placed out of anyone to make the most of rights. So the traditional rights models have always been built upon um, you sell rights, you monetize it through the subscription. If a broadcaster then will monetize it through the subscription or broadcast advertising revenue. That's fundamentally it, right? Pretty, pretty stock standard, straightforward sort of model. Some of them will take a little bit of a loss on it to get audience to build out a wider portfolio. Fine. But that, the, the monetization offerings were so limited there. But what Amazon can do, which you can do better than, than absolutely anyone, is it's an e-commerce platform first. So their ability to... Um, generate audiences and then they're not even at that point where, where it's matured, but they'll be going to be able to do more and more to, to sell to, to fans. Okay. You know, they want to watch the, um, they want something on, they watch a, top, a game with Tottenham in it, then they can market to them that they've got this Tottenham store dedicated that they can um, push them towards to, to monetize and get them to sell and buy, buy more, more gear. Um, no one else has that really. Like actually one of the things that's surprising for me in the OTT D2C space right now is that, we're still at a stage where a lot of the, the, the broadcast platforms don't have that infrastructure for a real robust e-commerce offering, you know, because it's technically quite challenging, but Amazon absolutely do. So their ability to be able to monetize, um, monetize rights through obviously the Amazon prime subscription, but then filtering their knowledge of those people into um, cross selling them into other you know, e-commerce channels throughout their, their business offering is, is going to be where they can just, they can look at, the value of rights completely differently to anyone else. Yeah. Um, others will come, but they've got the, they've got the head start on everyone. Yeah. And it's interesting that that, that will get to a point. It's not there now, but it will get to the point that that's part of the viewing experience. And I think um, I was reading some stuff the other day about Disney that the, one of the holy grails for Disney is with Disney plus is that you're watching, I don't know, the Mandalorian or you're watching some other content from them. Um, and then you can buy in the platform your kid a little soft toy, um, you know, baby Yoda, or you're watching Moana is one of my favorites. Um, you know, you can buy a little little Moana um, toy or something like that and just buy that in, in that. I mean, that's the same as Amazon, watching a Tottenham game, um, Harry Kane or whoever else, school hat trick. Um, you can go buy their jersey or you can get like an exclusive deal and you just, it's just part of that. It's in the experience. Obviously now it's much more around, well, you get that user, user data. You understand that either they follow up on the app or an email or more traditional methods of marketing um, and driving sales and conversions from it. Uh, but to be in that experience and part of it, I think that's going to be um, really interesting to, to see how that goes. And as you said, yeah, and th- Amazon, so I was going to say, uh, 
Yeah, and things like um, you know Amazon have done with you know they've mastered the the, the one click shopping offering for ages now. So you can just imagine like how that's going to integrate into a viewer experience. So yeah, Ronaldo scores a goal, instantly pops up, buys jersey, one click with their finger, they never miss a second of the action. Uh, that that sort of fluidity and native presence of the e-commerce offering on on the platform will just will just make them a lot of money, quite frankly, yeah. um, longer term. Um, so. They're, they're well positioned as anyone for that. But I mean, they're, they're also using, it's not just about that. It is about the fact they want to offer um, a really a robust video offering. So the Amazon Prime offering as well is so strong that they just continue to get people to sign up to that Prime offering because it's not only about the, the £10 a month or wherever you live, how much it costs um, per month for the subscription. They just see a huge increase. It's something, I can't remember the numbers, but it's like, it's more than a couple of hundred percent in, in spend with Amazon if you're a Prime member. So just getting you signed up for incremental value because of, of you getting enough value through all the other channels they offer will make you spend loads, loads more with Amazon generally because of the affinity with the brand, because of the touch points with the brand. So yeah, it's just win, win, win for them. So yeah, they've been doing a lot. I mean, more specifically, um, again, with Twitch, they've been really, Twitch has been obviously has been the, the, the market leader with, with gaming, now Twitch has actually launched a dedicated sports offering. And what that's going to be, they're going to actually start generating um, what I've kind of called community hubs for sports, but it's more than that. It's, it's basically, you know, for example, La Liga is one of the ones that comes to mind. The League is now creating a dedicated home on Twitch where they will pump in all sorts of their own exclusive content into the platform where athletes will be able to put stuff in as well. They might incorporate esports and gaming activities into there. But you think about it now, one of the big challenges in sports is fragmentation. Like where do you go to watch your favorite sport? Which channels are on? Is it on social? Is it on YouTube? Is it on you know, CBS? Whatever. Like it could be all over the place. You won't know. So they're trying to create at least some sort of centralized hub for all, all your content uh, needs if you're a big fan of that sport and again i think that alongside that more premium amazon prime offering that they've got they just basically got two products that are perfectly suited to contrast each other so if it's if it's one type of product they move it into the prime one if it's another one they can shift that type of content um in into the twitch offering as well so um yeah they're doing lots of cool stuff i also think uh just on the right side of things, I, I'm not sure if you know talking about that a little bit, but the moves they've made more recently is they've they, they initially started doing some global deals where they were doing um, a deal again. I mentioned ATP with Facebook, but not to, to sort of talk about them too much. But they also had a deal, a global deal with Amazon. So all of their tennis coverage was was all on the Amazon Prime offering, um, and they were able to you know test the waters, put their toes into the water to, to understand your know, consumption and how, um, how to where to, to focus their time and energy. But now they've gone the other way. Now they're going hyper regional. So they, um, they're starting to do regionalized deals. Um, the two that come to mind in the U S um, a deal they did in Seattle with the MLS and a deal they did in, I think it was New York with the MLB. And so now they're going not yes, only. In New York. It was the yes network in New York. Wasn't yeah, it? I think. I think it was. I think it was with Yes Network, but it might have specifically been around the baseball um, side of things. My main, my brain is um, not working that well at the moment. But, um, but yeah, and the MLS also in Seattle, and that's just around that region. So they just target a really hyper-targeted audience to, to, again, drive value for, for potential subscribers to the Prime offering. 
So the, the fact that they're able to take those, those really concentrated targeted moves at, for a, such a global product really knows that they, they've now worked out what they want to do and they want to do what they can to create spikes in subscriber numbers to, to their platform. Um, yeah. And that's also evident just in, in what they've done with the Premier League over in the UK, where they've bought rights in the Premier League over here, competing with other big broadcasters, but they've just bought it around the, the, Christmas, uh, the Christmas rights. So they basically are aiming to try and attract people to come onto Prime, to perhaps even give Prime as a present, to, to, to provide a platform that everyone has to come to for that moment because all of the games are going to be on their platform at once. Um, and they're, not, they're not, not trying to keep a continued presence in the market all year round. So they're looking for those moments that move the needle, that get people to go from some kicking the tires on a Prime subscription to actually getting them to sign up. So yeah, yeah really interesting. And same as the NFL, they've done, you know, a limited, limited game broadcast. So they have a, a certain amount of games during the season. And, um, you know, I've got Prime and I'll just flick it on just because it is um, more akin to that live TV experience where you can just, you, oh, you've got it. Might as well put it on. What am I going to watch tonight? Oh, they've got the football, um, which I think for people that are interested in it as a, as a real value add to what they're doing, then that fits in there. And um, to your point around localization and obviously the Seattle area, um, their sponsorship of the Climate Pledge Arena, which is the new NHL Seattle, the Kraken, the new expansion team um, up on the West Coast there. Uh, that, was, that was really interesting from people in, the, in this kind of stadium rights space because it was, that was seen as contracting in the sense mm. of people going, where's the value um, to put my brand on a stadium after some enormous deals last year and, and the last couple of years and you think about SoFi Stadium in LA and, and Legion Stadium in Las Vegas, the two new big NFL ones. Um, but then LAFC with uh, Bank of California Stadium, they actually paid out of their deal and didn't see the value. So that's, that's a whole nother topic around, you know, in downtimes, economic hardships, there's a contraction, sponsorship deals, stuff like that. Amazon went the other way and said, mm do this and also make a statement about it around climate pledge arena use it as a global kind of marketing stunt if you if you um <laughs> if you view it one way or you can see a sincere effort um to meet environmental goals if you if you'd like to i'm sure amazon's pr team would say say the latter um but again that was that was also that was a global stunt but it was also a um a, a local kind of investment um there so really interesting all, all that stuff i mean amazon's we're going to keep talking about amazon because i really think it's the one to watch um because there's probably less conjecture um about what they're doing and there's a few more concrete examples we can talk to but um what does that bode for rights deals into the future with amazon starting to make investments both globally and locally do you see them going up against traditional broadcasters are they going to kind of cannibalize that market yeah, absolutely. And I think they already really are now. Um, it was quite a funny moment, I'd say, a few years ago where there was a lot of rumour that, again, the fangs were coming into the sports industry and, and the Premier League rights were coming up. For, and they were, they were the, the most, arguably the most premium rights, definitely outside of the US anyway. Um, and everyone was expecting them to make a big splash and, and they, they never did that time around. Um, but now they are, I'd say, firmly involved in, in definitely from a sports perspective yeah from those, those premium rights negotiations they've done they've done deals for the premier league over in the uk they've done deals for the, for, for international rugby um they've done um reportedly done a deal for the champions league in um in italy from memory 
Um, and so that those deals are directly competing with with the bigger broadcasters. And so, uh, so I think yeah, absolutely. I think the main thing that it seems to be that they're playing for now, uh, further to my point earlier, is they're going for not necessarily longer term deals, but all they're looking for concentrated pieces of of um, of rights where they can go. Okay, let's put a heavy marketing effort behind this to draw audiences, um, draw audiences to the Amazon platform, getting them to sign up to Amazon Prime, getting them to buy things off our platform, uh, and making making them you know create an action. Whereas not looking necessarily as much as a longer term. So anyone that is offering a um, sort of I, I keep calling it a move the needle sort of thing, where they think it's going to be a moment like the Christmas rights I mentioned earlier, or the the rugby internationals, which only happen over a concentrated amount of time, something that isn't, you know, I don't have to commit five years to test this out. I'm going to buy a premium set of rights, see how it impacts, um, drive people into subscription, uh, and then and then we don't have to commit, you know, overcommit our spend. They don't have to commit to the big, big deals to get the value from it. So it's startup methodology, which is so interesting that you you wouldn't, I mean, and that's and that really when we come down to it, um, it is traditional broadcasters as not particularly innovative. Well, I mean, they have pockets of innovation, but in terms of what they do, like you said, buy the rights, sell the rights with ads um, or subscription. We've done that for donkey's years. Let's keep doing that. It ain't broke. Um, and then Amazon coming in and going, well, our attitude to business and how it's done is completely different. And we will take these small calculated risks, fail fast, all that kind of stuff, um, and push through. Sorry to interrupt on that, but it's just something that occurred to me then that it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental mentality shift to, to this and something that the sports industry um, not used to. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. I think that's where, I think partially, you know, I've always said in, in, in many instances that sports has been successful in spite of itself, not because of itself in many ways, because of the fact that it's, it's a passion point for a lot of people. And so they're able to, to make money out of that pretty easily. When something is, is linked to passion, it's not that hard to make, to make a lot of money from it. But these sport, these, these sort of uh, organizations coming in with, just doing business differently, doing things differently, and able, be able to judge things in a different way, it is good. For, is good for sports, um, though it does does link to the whole issue of the fragmentation, which I point to, which I think is one of sports's biggest issues. Is the, the as a fan, I just want to know where I want to watch my favourite sport, and mm. if I don't know, or I don't have access to, I have access to certain matches on certain platforms, and certain ones I don't. That just becomes a bit of a challenge for sport, where they can start to lose. They can start, fans will start to lose a little bit of interest over time, two years, but maybe over five to 10 years or the next generation will find it all too difficult. And, and your Netflixes and your TikToks will take priority or esports will take priority because you're fighting for people's time more than, more than anything. Um, and I actually think just to, to that point that we, we talked about with, with Amazon again, but I think the rumor was that, um, that they actually went to the Premier League and specifically said, you need to carve out a, an offering for us, which is basically, if you they, they intentionally created um, that that Christmas Christmas offering, which is they typically bundle um, their live matches for the uh, for the for the, the right cycle. I think in in six six groups, and they made one dedicated basically for them to to be more attractive to the big tech companies to test out. And so that's what got their foot in the door that way. So they I think that was partially a at least a nudge from them to say we want if we want something we don't want just a big lock four-year deal where we've got nine months of content to, to deal with. We want to we 
go hard at the market when we when we go for it. If that, that makes sense. Do you do you think it all it will? I mean, it, it will be a bidding war between traditional broadcasters and Amazon specifically, and the fangs more broadly. Or do you think that Amazon will just continue to chip away and just take pockets of where they see value, and then, as you said, it fragments down. Um, like, what's going to happen first? Is it going to be Amazon plays the traditional game of, of just bidding huge sums of money for the rights, or they basically break it down to the point that that doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the main thing to, to understand with, with the sports rights landscape is they are all, almost all deals are fairly, are very much geo, geo-located. So you don't have, you don't have, you have very few exclusive global deals with any major rights holder. They're all done country by country, segment of rights by segment of rights. So the ability for them to come in and go, say, do a, you know, a 20, $50 billion deal with the NFL for global rights or something. It was just, it's not, it's, it's very difficult logistically for that to happen um, because of just the, the different ways and shapes and forms their, their rights deals are in place all across the world. So it would be tough for them to properly come in and like blow up the whole, the whole market in one big hit. Um, I think so it will be a very much chipping away exercise in, in many instances to go market by market. Okay. Well, that like they don't want to buy rights up until this point. They, for example, they weren't in um, markets like Sweden, Amazon Prime or Amazon Words. So they obviously don't. They aren't the type of company to say, "Well, we'll pay for that anyway," um, mm. because we're we're not getting any value from it. So, but now they're moving into that market. I, I'm pretty confident that once they get their their offering fully up and running, you'll see them make some sort of play for rights in the rights over there as well. Yeah, definitely. And- so, I mean, we haven't touched on the other thing Amazon's doing, which is on AWS on that side is being the, uh, just the infrastructure tech partner for a lot of this kind of advanced statistics, advanced technology that's, that's pumping through all sports. So that's another play that they're making, um, which is a little bit less, uh, I would say, you know, different steps. It's just very traditional. It's just they, you know, they come in and say, we'll be your tech partner, we'll provide um cloud computing for you there you go because that's that's also something that fangs is is as um 5g comes online as you get things like ar and vr you get advanced kind of um optical tracking you know the second spectrums of the world um all of that needs a very very robust um data tech layer behind it and that's where google cloud aws uh really step up yeah, a hundred percent. And having that 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 offering AWS behind what they do, um, AWS has probably seen well between AWS and Google Cloud, they're probably seen as like the two of the best in the market for what they do, uh, and are, are fueling and the backbone of a lot of the major um, live sports broadcasting offerings out there. Uh, what's been really interesting is they've come into you know organisations like um, like F1, um, like the Bundesliga. And as far as I'm, I'm aware, those, those, those partnership deals, they're coming in like AWS is putting money on the table for that, um, mm. to, to have that, that, that brand presence, um, that, sorry, their brand positioning, which is very interesting because it's obviously very much a B2B play. Like they're providing, you know, technical infrastructure offering, but they're willing to put money on the table to showcase what they can do. I'm guessing this part of it is like to learn. So they, you know, the, the learnings they will, will gain from working directly with a rights holder, um, some of the elite, propositions in the market 
will be valuable for them to get better at what they do and what they offer the market. Um, but it, yeah, they're, they're in a great position to have that as a backbone. It's interesting when you talk to people at Amazon and AWS, they are largely seen as really two different businesses. They don't typically like to be talked about in the same breath per se, but I'm pretty sure fundamentally like AWS as an offering in a business being behind what Amazon's doing is, is hugely critical and their, their role is only growing pretty rapidly at the moment. They're getting gaining market share, um, not just in sports, but more widely as well. Yeah. No, I think, um, I mean, Bezos, Jeff Bezos is behind all of it. So um, there's not that he'd be on uh, across the money you show, but certainly at a, at a top level strategic level, um, they're not going to be competing with each other or being detrimental to each other's aims. So Definitely your point about Amazon and AWS being kind of different entities and, and talked about differently and positioned differently. But in terms of their ability to, as you say, move the needle, um, it's their combined uh, weight. In the same way that you would refer to Google and YouTube or um, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, everything else that, that sits under those um, entities. So... And I think that's just, just to that point, I think it's what you're seeing across, well, across the, the, the tech space, sports tech as well, is the ability, um, you know, particularly for people that are making investments into the sports sports world, is what businesses can you put together to go one plus one equals five? Like mm. if this incredible um, infrastructure um, offering, cloud offering like AWS, and you plug that into something like an Amazon, yeah, look, the, the greater result, net result is, of that is it's going to be, exponentially more valuable for, for both businesses, businesses to coexist together and partner up. And you see that really across a whole host of areas where there's a number of um, businesses in, in the sports world or investors that look at businesses that complement each other so then they can start tapping into either the expertise or the technology to, to basically um, help, help each respective business grow quicker than they would if they were you know, working independently. So, yeah, I think that is just a... a um, a sample or an example of what we're seeing, I guess, right across the, the tech and sports tech world. Mm, yeah. And I think that's certainly something that has probably been accelerated or exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, and I think you're going to see next year and the year after just quietly quite a few sports tech roll-ups. I think there's going to be um, some investors that are looking to take, as you said, complementary companies within the sports tech space, put them together in some sort of, holistic offering um which is exciting for the industry because what it's what it needs is to start to get some bigger not quite the fangs um but the equivalent of in kind of sports um technology these these bigger players that are starting to roll up different technologies and work together so uh thank you so much for your time nick that was a fascinating conversation um i think our listeners would definitely agree with that before we go i've got one final question for you what is your favorite sporting moment of all time Oh, that is, that's a tough one. Um, one of my favorite moments, uh, being, being the Aussie that I am, I, um, uh, which uh, I would have to say going to the state of origin and watching a game three state of origin match where New, Th- New South Wales Blues won, uh, won the, uh, the dis- game, game decider and I was there for that. That was pretty much a, a pretty big moment for me. What year uh, was that? Oh, I don't know if I'd be willing to admit it, or I can't really remember to be honest. But it was a long, long time ago. We're talking, we're talking more than a decade ago. So um, I mean, they haven't won that, that. There was a period there they didn't win for quite a while. So, uh, um, but yeah, that's probably one that comes off off top of my head, particularly for one that I was at. 
but um, these days it's just far far too many to pick from. Um, that that, can, that, um, that every, everything there's stuff happening every every single week now, so uh, hard to hard to pick one. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll include um, some footage of that for our for our listeners and for for our international visitors outside of Australia, which is is the majority of you. Um, I will also include another kind of hype video around state of origin. They call it state versus state, mate versus mate. It's New South Wales versus Queensland, and it's um, where you played your junior football or junior rugby. It's like where you like you first played. So um, basically. Australia's rugby civil war in league, and it's—I would argue—it's bigger than the um, the actual main competition's grand final. Like it's this kind of, yeah. So it, it's, there's, cert- there's certain years there. There's certain years there that I think it rates number one over over the the finals. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think what other. There's not in terms of rivalries because it's it, it's a unique beast because it's where you grew up and where you played, but then you could be playing opposite someone in state of origin who your teammates with and you've seen examples of that with their teammates but then in state of origin they end up punching each other in the face a few times like it's just it's intense anyway so i'm from victoria which isn't included in that so we just kind of look on and <laughs> see all these northern states punch each other so um but it's 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 a pretty good spectacle so i'll definitely include a um a link to that and thank you so much again for your time, Nick. It's been great to, to have you on the show. Um, big fan of what Sports Pro Media is doing in terms of a, a resource for sports business and everything that's there. So I'm sure a few of our listeners or a lot of our listeners will be keeping tabs on that as well and looking forward to staying in touch. Cheers, Thomas. It's been, been a pleasure and uh, talk to you soon. There you have it. That was Nick Meacham, Managing Director of Sports Pro Media. Uh, really interesting discussion there. As I said in, in the intro, done a lot of thinking about this, done a lot of research, uh, having the conversation with the right people. So it's always great to, to bounce some um, thoughts and, and some conversation off him on this topic. A little bit of wait and hurry up and wait um, with in terms of how big tech are going to emerge in this space. I think uh, what we're going to see is that when they go in, they're going to go in hard and they're going to go in fast. So uh, that's with Amazon. You're seeing that when they want to go, go into something, they will make some serious moves. So that's really one to watch and also how that changes the, uh, the global media rights kind of landscape uh, over the next few years. As I mentioned in the beginning, you can find more uh, episodes and also show notes on this episode on sportstechfeed.com. You can also go to sportstechworldseries.com if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, uh, sign up form down the bottom. That's a weekly newsletter. You'll get all the best news um, and best insights around sports technology for that week, including a deeper dive um, that you can sink your teeth into or sink your fangs into. Again, sorry for the pun, uh, but you can sink your teeth into for that week. Until next week, I have been your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us this week on Sports Tech Feed. (laughs) 